In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly King, Paraclete, Spirit of Truth, You who are everywhere present and fill all things, Treasury of all that is good, Master of life, come, dwell within us. Cleanse us from all stain and save our souls, O good one. Mary, cause of our joy, pray for us. St. Paul, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to go on now and look at the letter to the Romans. Um, we have finished, for those who have been with us, um, just finished the Gospel of John. We're taking one another one of the great masterpieces of the New Testament, namely St. Paul's letter to the Romans. I want to talk a little bit in this first section about the letter, and uh, then in the second section of our work today, uh, start looking at the text itself, okay? Uh, the overview. Well, everybody acknowledges that it was Paul who wrote it. There's no problem about that. People wonder where he was. Best guess, it's more than a guess, conjecture maybe, um, is that he was in Corinth. And it was probably somewhere in the middle 50s. Uh, he had other letters to write, but he'd also written a lot of other letters before this. Um, Galatians, Corinthians, Thessalonians were all written before Romans, as far as we can tell. Um, because there are themes in those other letters which are here as well, but more developed here and also in a more Irenic style. When you compare Galatians with Romans, they're both treating of the same topic, that is, justification by faith, the, the uh, tension between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, the role of the law in all of this, Galatians almost looks like a ground plan for Romans, but it probably not. But it's just so many of the same topics are going to be discussed, but they're very irenic in in the letter to the Romans, whereas in um, the letter to the Galatians they're quite um, polemical, uh, and. Uh, he says things there, some also in Philippians, but mostly in Galatians. He's very angry at Jewish people who have become Christians, but insist that Christians must follow the whole law. And he says, no, they don't. The law was to bring us to Christ. We're to Christ now. Of course, we keep the Ten Commandments. Of course, it's not that. And all that the Torah teaches us about God, that's for us, as he says. All the scriptures are um, for our consolation. And he says in the letter to Timothy, Pasagraphi, all the sacred writings. Well, there were no Gospels when he was writing that. He means the Old Testament. And so they were written, you know, they are Theopneftos. They are inspired by the Spirit, by God. So, so the, the purpose of this letter was more a... Um, an essay on some key neuralgic themes that had to be dealt with in a quiet way. And he had received revelation from God 
on how to do that. And so, uh, that's the, uh, the basic motive for the letter. Uh, the structure we're going to look at more closely. Um, there's a basic section, one chapters 1 to 8, that talks mostly about justification. Then, there's chapters 9 to 11, which talk about the Jewish people, the role of the Jews in God's plan and God's history, who they are, and so forth. That's a difficult part to go through because Paul is, is arguing very rabbinically there. He's quoting text A, but he expects all his interlocutors to know that it also refers to B. Well, we have to run to catch up with him there because it's, it's difficult. His point is, of course, that, there, that there's a plan for the Jews. Finally, he says at the end of chapter 11, you see, uh, the Jews will come in and then all Israel will be saved. Pasa Israel. Uh, and then a hymn to the wonderful wisdom of God. You can tell there that he'd been given, that he's arguing in a very rabbinic mode, which I'll try to explain when we get there, but he's coming out of a prophetic instruction from the Holy Spirit. Then, chapters uh, 10, uh, more or less down to 16, are uh, exhortation. Let me just check that out um, before we go on here. Um, there's questions there about tension between uh, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And um, seems strange to us for many reasons. One, we Gentile Christians so outnumber the Jewish Christians, we wonder what the problem could be. But, uh, uh, so yes, chapter 9, uh, all the way down to the end of 11. 9, 10, and 11 is this famous section that I just said. Well, what is the role of Israel? And uh, what was the role of Israel? And then, chapter 12, more or less to the end of the letter in chapter 16, is addressing Christians, about getting along with each other. But the strong Christians that know you can eat any food you want, you bless it. And the weaker Christians that say, no, 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 that's been offered to idols, or that's forbidden by the Jews. And, and uh, he's trying to steer a way through that that will bring peace to the, uh, to the community. He's never been there. Uh, he says, right, as we're going to see, I would love to come and uh, share with you. And he ultimately does get there. But uh, this letter was written before he got there. He got there as a prisoner. But it was like a house arrest. And uh, many people came to see him and uh, so forth. But there were Christians both of Jewish origin and Gentile origin, in Rome before Paul ever got there. And one of the great questions, historical questions, which we're probably never going to be able to answer, is, well, who evangelized Rome? 
There's a famous statement of one of the early, early commentators saying, the foundation of the Church of Rome is astonishing. There were no great apostles. There were no great signs and wonders. It's very difficult to know how it got started. Uh, and that it had Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in it from the beginning, despite the millennial tension between Jews and Gentiles. So what's the guess there? Well, that some Jews left Jerusalem and went to Rome, very holy people, and they preached Jesus. Well, some of those Jewish, some of the people in the Jewish community in Rome were former Gentiles who are now part of the Jewish community and believe in Christ and become part of the Christian community. And so then there's all this question about dietary laws and all sorts of things. And the basic question, which we will be looking at through the first eight chapters and then in another way through 9, 10, and 11, is the question of justification. What is justification? And how is somebody justified? And how do we get to use this term anyway? Uh, and we'll be working on that. The importance of the letter to the, of the Rome to the Romans can hardly be exaggerated in the history of Christianity. Um, John Chrysostom wrote an enormously important commentary. A lot of Luther's work was based on the letter to the Romans. In other words, this letter is a place of setting forth some absolutely fundamental doctrines of Christianity. Not a treatise on the whole of Christianity. He doesn't mention the Eucharist ever, which is foundational for him. Just read what he says in Corinthians. So it's not a letter treating of everything that has to do with the Christian life, but rather uh, what makes a human being right in God's eyes? Well, the passion and resurrection of Christ. Fine. How is that imparted to the believer? And that's the, the question that's uppermost. As I say, he was uh, troubled by this because after he left uh, the Galatian people, some other believers came, but they were a, a, a stricter Jewish mindset. And they were insisting that Christianity is an outgrowth of Judaism, but you have to keep the law. And uh, Paul was sure that you didn't. So he fought like a tiger. And he tells how he even told Peter off. When Peter backed down and started eating kosher again, you know, uh, and so forth. It isn't kosher, non-kosher that's the big issue. It's what justifies you. You see, how are you justified? You're justified, see, by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ into which you enter by faith. And that means you are at rights with God. Uh, that's what it means. And so, and that carries over into an eternal life. That's what Paul is writing. We're very blessed that the Holy Spirit inspired this letter because uh, some key issues are laid out for us by revelation.
even the famous text, as we'll see weeks or months down the road, in 11.25, what is the future of the Jews? There will come a time when they will believe, and thus all Israel will be saved. What is all Israel? Can you see, I'm, I'm trying to trace for you, some of the problems, you know, that um, we're going to have to be looking at, but they're blessed because they're going to exercise our minds and lead us more deeply to experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the meaning of his death and resurrection, and how that act of love in which he died is imparted to us by faith and baptism, that water right, absolutely essential, because it's there that we're baptized into his death, which takes us all the way back to his own acceptance of his death when he was baptized, as I'll try to develop when we get there. So we're very privileged to have the time to reflect on this letter to the Romans. Um, and we're going to take our time. Uh, we'll be finished before the Lord comes back, probably. But I'm not giving any uh, timeline uh, because it's so full, so beautiful. And uh, it's, it's discourse, not narrative. The other is much more, it's the very works of God in history, in Christ Jesus, his eternal equal son, the Gospels. This is reflection on the consequences of that. So this is a little easier some ways, except we're dealing with a mystic and a genius uh, and... Um, you know, St. Jerome commented a lot on Paul. He say that he was living in his cave in Bethlehem. Huh? And every once in a while he'd pick up the scroll and he'd throw it across the cave and say, Paul, you don't want to be understood. But we'll see how true that is as we go on.